Okay. Christians in the state. We've been on this for a while, but the issue's big, and we wanted to get to all the questions. Um, so that's what we've been doing, starting last week, actually addressing questions. <clears throat> Just a quick refresher to get the juices flowing on the issue. We've talked about the general perspectives found in the scriptures, primarily the book of Proverbs we look to. There are other places. Made an attempt at trying to look at the big picture, but that's just too big of a topic to address now. So I wish we could have addressed Revelation 13, but we'll do that another day because it's just a big picture of what the state is. Um, We've been, uh, now I was talking about the questions, and what we wanted to do was just give little snippets out of these sort of topical areas under the heading of New Covenant Directives. Some of them are Old Testament passages, but they're restated in the New Testament uh, and uh, belong to us and are important to us. So what are the New Covenant Directives? Not just what is the general you know, realm in which the Bible talks to our relationship to the state, but what are the specific directives? And we've addressed some of them, the, the big-ticket items in Romans 13, Matthew 17, Matthew 22, Titus 3, 1 Peter 2. Um, these are some of the things that sort of surround it. And so, as we did last week, we just wanted to pick a brief scripture, or look at a scripture briefly, I should say, uh, out of each of these topics, just to be reminders. So when we talk about milieu, we are talking about what is the social environment around us. It's a fancy term that I didn't know for a long time. I heard it said, I'm like, I don't know what milieu means. And one day I looked it up, I'm like, oh, that's a cool, cool term. Uh, sounds good. It sounds very important, milieu. Um, <clears throat> but it's just the environment that you're around. Um, we're to be witnesses in a real world of sin and darkness. Uh, the passage this week I just thought about, as Paul said, I wrote in my letter, First uh, Corinthians 5, 9 through 13, not to associate with immoral people. I did not mean at all with the immoral people of this world or with the covetous or the swindlers or the idolaters, for then you would have to go out of the world. But actually I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he is an immoral person. By the way, uh, that so-called is a bad translation. If anyone who is named a brother, that is, he's taking on the name of Christ. It's not that we name him as a brother, as he wants that name. Uh, it's a, he's an immoral person or covetous or an idolater or a reviler, uh, which might have some effect on how we uh, voice our frustrations against the government, um, or a drunkard or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? What does the church have to do with judging outsiders? All right. Do you not judge those who are within the church, but those who are outside of the church? God judges. This is a crucial passage. We live in a wicked world, and because we have been renewed to have a sense of the the significance of righteousness, that before anything, God is true and righteous. He's light. Um, He's love, but he's light. The first thing said about him is he's light. Not the first thing said about him is he's love. Uh, not that one discounts the other or there's some competition. God is perfect blend of those, but the first thing God announces to us is that he's light, 1 John 1, 5. Uh, this is the message we heard from him, Jesus himself, and announce unto you that God is light. And <clears throat> so we have this sense of light and we, we, we come out of our sinful stupor and we awake to righteousness and we're like, well, the world's full of sin. We didn't think that before we became a Christian. We thought the world was just a place you competed for whatever you wanted, the stuff you wanted. Uh, and some people were just worse than others. But now, no, the whole world is in, is, in, is in darkness itself and it's unrighteous. And so when we awake to this sense of righteousness, what is our tendency? Well, the government's bad. We need to fix it. I mean, when you start thinking in that direction, that's where you'll go. And it's a good tendency. It's a natural tendency. If you're not going there, I think you have a problem. But if you go too far, then you have a problem. <laughs> And that's what we're dealing with, the going too far. Um, So what do I have to do with judging outsiders? That doesn't mean I don't assess outsiders. doesn't mean I don't have a realistic view of outsiders, of what the world is and what our current government is. But it does mean that I'm not their judge. It's not up to me to judge them or to fix them. Okay? It's up to God. So, milieu. Remember, we live in a wicked world, and the government is populated by wicked people. So governments are going to always be and be becoming what? Wicked. It's just where things go. Just read the history of the world. There's always resets. One empire becomes so corrupt they get destroyed and conquered by another empire. It's happening today. There's the rise of other empires in the world, and who knows what that history will be. Demeanor. We've talked about demeanor. It's just a poor thing. There's lots of things. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. 
Philippians 2.14, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless. And I love the, the ASV translation of this word, harmless. Blameless and harmless. Blameless and innocent. That is, innocent of doing harm to people. Children of God, above reproach, in the midst of a what? What are we to be these things in the midst of? You see? The Bible doesn't say that we are to succeed in our Christian witness because everything's going well. It says we succeed in the midst of all of the opposition, all of the distortion uh, against God. And it's a crooked, and it's a perverse generation. And if any generation in America has been that at least openly, it is the current one in which we live. And among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life. So in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. Sounds kind of selfish, doesn't it? As a preacher, I want you all to do well so I get my paycheck. <laughs> that's, uh, that's basically what Paul is saying. Uh, but we know that Paul has far more ultimate uh, uh, altruistic concerns. But it's, it's not a bad thing for him to be able to say, hey, look, you were in my charge and I got you there. You want to say, hey, my children were in my home and I got them to arrive at adulthood well. Not so that you get benefit so much as that you did your job well, a self-satisfaction that you did your job well. Perspective, and this is New Covenant, not general perspective, but New Covenant directive perspective. Uh, we looked at one last week, John 19, but here, Proverbs 24, this is reiterated, but I just want to show it, it's stated in Proverbs also. Uh, just think when Jesus said, blessed are the meek, here's the passage you should be thinking of. You should be thinking of Psalm 37, you should be thinking of this, Jesus is gathering up the Old Testament and restating it to us in New Covenant terms. Do not fret yourself because of evildoers or be envious of the wicked. Okay, so what's the first problem Proverbs says you can have? In the midst of evildoers, you can do what? You can give yourself over to fretting or envy because they're succeeding. Okay, those are the two things. Well, they're succeeding and that's bad, or they're succeeding and why can't I? We're to look at the world around us and realistically, it says because, you know, you start, if you're envious or if you're fretting, you're having a wrong response. Because know this, that the evildoer has no future hope. Those people pursuing wickedness right now who think that the Tower of Babel is what they want to create this world for. They want to have a global Tower of Babel. There's a day coming when they're going to wish they hadn't. Okay? There's a day coming when they were going to wish to God they could be the poorest person on earth. They're going to wish to God they would have lost all their money and never had a bit of it. They're going to wish that they'd never had any power, that they'd never opened their mouth, that they'd never tried to coerce, that they'd never tried to undermine that they never tried to manipulate. They're going to wish that day in that day. But that day is not now. And God says, if you're going to be a Christian, then you have to take the mindset, look, that is a dead end, truly, literally, a dead end. Do not fret about it and do not envy it. And certainly, the last do not is do not join with rebellious officials. Don't go out there trying to fix it in unlawful ways. Don't do it. It's not going to get you anywhere. For these two, it says, you know, fear the Lord and the king, kind of like maybe Paul was looking at this when he uh, wrote uh, uh, Romans 13. Fear the Lord and the king. Because if you don't, if you go out and join yourselves to rebellious people, you're going to get those two, both God and the king, are going to bring sudden destruction upon you. And I think Paul certainly had this passage in mind. Um, so that's perspective. Focus. Some things just about focus. Titus 2, 11 through 15. We, we dwelt on Titus 3, 1 and 2 because that's just such a simple but powerful passage. Um, the Christian life is, you know, 40, 50, 60 years of living out two verses of Titus 3, 1 and 2. 60 years to put flesh on those bones. All right, our own flesh. But before that, Paul says this. Before he ever gets to Titus 3, he says, The grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all men. We need to have this focus. What does this grace do for us if it's truly operating in our lives? It instructs us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, to live sensibly, to live righteously, to live godly in this present age. Not to be fretting, not to be envying, not to be worrying about the wicked and what they're bringing to pass. Leave that in the hands of God. We're to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age, an age of perverse and evil people looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, that's what, what Proverbs didn't tell you, that their end was not only death in this world, their end is eternal death, but it had it in mind, of course. 
We need to be hoping in Jesus. We need to be so filled with Jesus Christ, the idea that I'm going to talk to anybody about the, you know, the, the government other than we just need to stay informed for certain reasons. The idea that I'm going to be frustrated about it, it just like, seems like such a waste, doesn't it? Is that really where you want to put your emotions and your upsetments? It's good to be informed. It's good to not be naive. I get that. But to be overwhelmed and overcome and off balance when we have a blessed hope of the appearing of the great God and Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. And we're to be zealous of good deeds because see what happens when we start putting our energy in frustrations about where the government's going, what are we not putting our energy in? Good deeds. And these good deeds are local good deeds. They're not the good deeds of changing government. I just, it's very frustrating for me when the reformed intellectuals start taking a verse like this and says, well, you know, good deeds is, is not having an oppressive government, so it's a good deed for me to start. You know, like, really? Are you really going to take the word of God and do that kind of foolishness with it? These are invalid extrapolations. The zealous for good deeds is really clear because Paul says it in the next two verses. You're the, the, the place in which you live, the island of Crete, where you live with every individual that is your neighbor. Um, persecution. We all know that we don't need to be naive about persecution. A lot of us grew up thinking it would never happen in America, and today we're like, okay, uh, when is it going to happen? Not is it, if it's going to happen. But we're to be ready for it. And here's 1 Peter 3, and I'm going to love it when Chris gets to it, but who, just for a quick one-off, who is there to harm you if you prove zealous of that which is good? Right? So Peter says, no one's really generally going to harm you if you're doing good. Particularly if you're not provoking the government right? by worrying about it and fretting about it. But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you're blessed. You think of that. And I know a lot of you say, yes, I, I know that. And that's good because you know, to, to think that you're blessed when people are, are doing all kinds of bad things to you um, that can only come from the Lord in the end, um, if it's, certainly if it's about the things of the Lord. Do not fear their intimidation. Do not be troubled, a quote from uh, um, Isaiah 8 and sort of mixed with Proverbs 3. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. And so when the government is saying it's Lord and it's starting to compete with the claims of God, we're to sanctify in our hearts Jesus. That's what we're supposed to be focused on. Say, I know what the government's saying, and I'm glad for government because try to live in the ghettos where the gangs are in charge and see how far you get. You know, you're going to get glad for this general rule of law, but when the government is captured by people who are determined to take the power of government and use it against Christianity, well, that, that's what you have to deal with. And you just say, the government is not Lord. Caesar is not Lord if you were in the first century. Today, you know, the, the, the president is not Lord. Um, the FBI is not Lord. Congressional laws are not Lord. Jesus is Lord. Sanctify that in your hearts. Have that calm confidence, that clear confidence. And then you can speak calmly and not with agitation. Then you can speak peaceably with truth instead of to vent frustration and try to debate them. Just state and, and preach the gospel. As Chris uh, last week you know, recommended that one video, just an amazing video of how to respond to a Black Lives Matter riot, all right? You're going to give an account for the hope that's in you. You're not going to debate them. You're not going to go into some apologetic uh, whatever. You're going to say, I'm going to give an account of the hope that's in me. I'm going to talk about what's in my heart. Yet with what? Gentleness and reverence. I mean, this is Peter talking to people about how to deal with persecution that was coming upon the church at that time. Right? So persecution is, uh, you know, it's, it's actually a big deal in the New Testament. We're to keep a good conscience, and we're going to suffer for doing right, not for doing wrong. So provoking the government, you know, having, you know, beyond our, you know, our, our lawful and legitimate place as citizens, just not a good thing. Civil disobedience. Again, uh, Paul in Acts 22, we all pretty much know it well. When they had tied up Paul with thongs, Paul said unto the centurion that stood by, they're ready to whip him. They've got him tied. His hands are up there. And Paul just asks a simple question. He doesn't start mocking them. He just says, is it lawful for you to scourge a man that is a Roman and uncondemned? Is it lawful? Appeal to the law. Okay? Appeal to his right as a citizen. And we have and should appeal to our rights as citizens. And he goes on to say, hey, I'm Roman born. I didn't buy this. I'm, I'm a pure Roman. Um, and I have rights and I have privileges and I demand that you honor them. We should do that. We can do that. 
Now, I put this in the civil disobedience column, not because this is civil disobedience. This is legitimately demanding your rights as a citizen, and we should do that. I think um, that uh, Capitol Street uh, Baptist Church, in dealing with them being shut down by the government, they went to court. It's their right to do. They weren't going to court against a Christian because, you know, you took something from me and I want it back. They were going to court against the government that was invading the rights and privileges of their citizenship. And that was a good thing to do. I can't remember how it turned out, but that was a good way to do it. Self-defense. <clears throat> um, I'm only doing this because some people wanted it, so I, I, I don't really want to be in this, uh, in this swamp. But um, Exodus 22, if the thief is caught while breaking in and is so struck that he dies, there will be no blood guiltiness because, you know, on his account. So if you're at home and it's at night and someone breaks in and you're in fear for your life and you shoot them or club them with a frying pan or something, they die, um, you know, you're, you're, you're not responsible. That person invaded your home and that was wrong. You have the right of self-defense. So that's there. So that was a, just a quick review. All right, well, we uh, did question one, what evils or evildoers should lie and support? There weren't a lot of people here last week, so should we list and support the government punishing? Um, well, we went to Genesis 9, one, uh, 5 and 6, which says we want human government in order to just preserve life, to quit this, this bloodthirsty um, just, uh, I don't know, just crazy rule of any thugs that want to just go and kill you and take your stuff. So government is there to preserve life and preserve this, the earth as a stage for the gospel. That's its purpose. Um, and you will notice that that's all God says about it. Um, if you want to go to more than that, well, then, you know, there's some passages you can look at, but they're all Old Covenant passages where God rules over Israel. And it's not that those things aren't good answers. It's just that, do we really want to get into the, the state where we say the government should be imposing Old Testament law? Is that what we want to start doing? Because that's a slippery slope that leads to a lot of bad things. Uh, what righteous acts or actors, you know, should we uh, list that the government should be in support of praising, and those are easy, help the poor and the fatherless, the widow, uh, those that are, that are in harm um, or in difficulty in their life because of circumstance, not because of their own foolish decisions. Um, so it's good for those things. Does Genesis 9, I asked some questions, we won't go through those. Um, here was one, just because our constitution or amendments, laws protect and allow something, uh, does it mean it's right for us to do? And the real question is, well, in this one, it was the Second Amendment, but I'm sure everybody's big question, should I have, you know, taken up the Declaration of Independence and fought in the American Revolutionary War? And I'll tell you, I don't know what you should have done back then, because I don't know what the circumstances were. I don't know what everybody was facing, all right? So I'm not going to adjudicate that history. I do know what we're to do right now. Taking up arms against the government would be a bad idea. <clears throat> um, and just because our Declaration of Independence or our Constitution says you can take up arms against the government, I don't advocate for it, and I don't think you should either. Um, if it says that we have the right to bear arms, this was a specific question, should we have guns? Well, again, it's a real simple answer. Is it okay with God? If it's okay with God and the government says it's okay, then there's no problem. Here's what the government says, God says, here's what the government says, and they mesh. So wherever government and God come together and say the same thing, this is easy. You can or can't. It's up to you. Unless it's a demand you must or a demand you absolutely shouldn't. If it's a demand you can or it's allowing you can, that's your personal decision. You want to have a gun or not. Do not start judging people who have a different opinion than you. That's the worst thing you can do. But if God says this and the government says this, what do we do? We do this, right? No, whatever the consequences the government is going to bring on us for doing this, we do this. It's really simple. Almost all these questions boil down to it. The government says this, God says this. Well, the government comes back, well, God says this. Then this is what I'm doing. It's, you know, the old hand game. You just keep doing whatever God says. Yeah. Yeah. Do we use uh, uh, human declarations to clarify the word of God? Is that what you're really asking? What has, what has authority? It seems like the word of God allows a broad spectrum of interpretation. Yeah. I would say certainly we're never going to use human declarations to interpret the word of God. But if the word of God is giving us this sort of, you know, latitude to do something, like I think Exodus, you know, chapter you know, 22 is pretty clear. 
um, that, you know, should we live in a theocracy where God is in charge, he does say you have the right of self-defense. Um, not everybody reads it that way. So again, it's a matter of opinion. Don't start judging one another over it. Right? If you want to create a whole society and become Amish and not have, you not go to war, fine, if that's your conviction before the Lord. But don't impose that on me unless you have some clear biblical statement. It can't be vague and, and extrapolated ideas battling against each other. Now, if the government said we can't have guns, then you just have to go, okay, am I going to say that my right to a gun is so innate, as, they, as the Declaration says, that I'm going to have guns anyway? Well, we'll have discussions when we get there, and we may have those discussions sooner than later. Um, but uh, right now, it's just in general, we do what God says, and we determine the Word of God. God is His own interpreter, not man, ever. The, the life of Robert... Is it, no, Robert Zwingli. Life of Zwingli. I am a Robert... Ulrich Zwingli. The life of Zwingli is a really good life to read if, you, if you're really concerned about it. He died on a battlefield. Pretty sure he was going, maybe this was a bad idea. Um, yeah. How do we apply these scriptures to our day in a democratic republic? We just discussed that to go into the realm of theonomy when we're going to impose God's law and say that government should enshrine God's law. It's like, are we not in post-millennialism? Are we not in theonomy? Have we not gone just way too far. The New Testament just does not address those things. It always says, if you're talking about those things and worried about those things, you've got the wrong focus. You haven't seen the kingdom of God, or you've certainly forgotten it. And so when people are all disturbed and worried and upset, and I understand there's an emotional journey you have to go through, but if the end you land on, I'm going to try to fix the government, and that's my main, you're in the wrong place. You're in the wrong place. <clears throat> Can we, should we vote? Yes, we can vote. Should we vote? Yep. Unless you, you should, if you don't, if you don't vote good policy, then don't complain about bad policy. That's all I can tell you. If you vote good policy and don't get good policy, fine. But if, if you don't vote good policy, but you have some absurd idea that you're voting for a Sunday school teacher for president or somebody else, then, uh, then you deserve what you get. And by the way, if you're visiting, these are... Yeah. So, new question. That was just a review because a lot of people weren't here last week, so we didn't want to miss all of that. So question number six. When the government seems to be corrupted, do we still assume that it's God-given and we have to be submitted? So there's four questions, someone like this. And so it's a big question. It's, it's one to think about. What if the ruling authorities seem to be a terror to the good conduct rather than bad conduct? Another one like it, when the government seems to be corrupted, do we still assume that it's God-given and we have to be submitted? And yet another one, Romans 13, talks about punishing evil and rewarding good. What if that is not the case? Okay. So, I think in our present day, we don't have to go what-ifs. Uh, we already have a government that sanctions lawlessness. Everything is upside down. Uh, the destruction of the family is its mission. Uh, sexual immorality is its mission. Uh, militant, radically militant transgenderism is its stated mission. They're passing laws about it. Uh, they're, they're just using taxation as a bludgeon to steal from people and give to those who, in many cases, not all cases, many cases, do not deserve it. The whole country is being reordered along uh, neo-Marxist lines. Right? So it's just a distorted situation. So we don't have to go, what if? We can right now look at our current government and say, and ask the question, because that's the real issue, is our current government that is, that is upside down and inside out and utterly becoming more and more by the day contrary to what we as Christians have to stand for in God's world. It's not their world, it's God's world. Just because they're building the Tower of Babel doesn't mean they have the right to do it <clears throat> or that they're right in doing it just because they can so, <clears throat> are we still supposed to submit to them? That's the question. Mm -hmm. Anybody got a 30-second answer? You want a voice? Yes. Yes, as long as it doesn't go against God's mandates. Amen. Brad, you got two hands up there. Yeah, when David started to, remember, cut the little, David started to and his heart smote him. 
So if you're walking with God and you start to say, well, we need to unravel this current government because it's evil, if your heart isn't starting to smite you, you better start praying <laughs> because this is not our task as either individuals or as a church. We're not to here to declare government's evil. We're not this, you know, prophet, you know, Old Testament fiery prophets. Remember those Old Testament fiery prophets. We're talking to a nation absolutely in covenant with God and they were breaking the covenant. They weren't talking to the rest of the nations necessarily. That, that was secondary to their main message. And it was just God declaring all these nations that are against my people are in trouble, you yeah. Well, it's just when we start getting into the whole world of government, God and government, it's like Paul said in 1 Corinthians 5. Look, that's God's world. That's God's realm. Don't try to become, you know, take on his realm for him. He doesn't need you to do that. And the world will take care of its own. We have a mission which we must not fail in, and that is to witness against that government, not to try to, you know, impede that government, but to be a witness that they are wicked when the time comes. Jesus said, I'm going to bring you before kings. I'm going to engineer it so that you come before kings to be a witness to them. I was just reading Psalm 76 where God himself speaks and he says, I've declared to you, don't be arrogant. Well, how does he do that? Well, it's going to be the Christian witness at times. But for the most part, our witness is to bring people to Christ, not to witness against government. Um, And having the job to witness against government may not not be as fun as one might think um, or satisfying. Yeah, absolutely. 1 Peter 2, when he was reviled by those soldiers, he did not revile again, yet he's the king of the universe. So even the king of the universe didn't respond in that way, and neither should we. Yeah, that's me. And I always have to remember, and it's why I try to go through the kingdom issues, and I know it was an utter failure because there was just not enough time. I tried to cram too much in it. I get that, but my, my point was this, is that we are not here for ourselves and our own personal enjoyment under a free country. I mean, I want to have it. No, don't get me wrong. I'd love to have all the freedom we have and, and more. And right now, we're in such a limbo state. You can basically do anything you want. So that state's going to change at some point. But, uh, you know, I love being free. But we're here for the kingdom of God, not for me personally or for you personally. It is immature Christians, and there's nothing wrong being immature if you should be immature because of time. But if you've lived as a Christian for a while, as you know, Hebrews 5 says, hey, if by reason of the time, you're, you're still you know, for, for milk and not meat. If you've been a Christian for a while and you're still worried about your own personal satisfaction and the government you know, toppling means you lose, you're, you're looking at everything the wrong way. You are part of the kingdom of God, and God is in the business of witnessing against and destroying evil. There's bigger things going on than our personal enjoyment and our personal satisfaction, way bigger things. And we will not be part of those bigger things if we are self-centered, if we are world-centered, if we're thinking, oh, the government's crumbling, I got to... No, the government's crumbling, I have to witness for Christ in it. Now, if someone comes and says, hey, vote against this or vote for that, I'll do it, but my vote usually gets drowned out pretty quickly, you know. But we can't resort to frustrations, and and it's just a wrong focus. We're wasting our our energy, our time. We're wasting what Jesus bought us for. Uh, In that uh, Titus passage where, you know, looking for the blessed hope, we're supposed to be looking for the coming of Christ to bring a new heavens and earth. It says that he's bought us to be a people for his own possession. We belong to God. We don't belong to this world. Why are we going to start getting back into the world as if we belong to the world? I mean, we're bought with the blood of the Lamb. The implications of that are so far-reaching. And for us to be embroiled and frustrated and vexed and churned up about what's going on with the government, I mean, it's, it's just wrong. For us to be knowledgeable about it, sure, but not, not vexed and frustrated and buying into suspicious conspiracies. There's enough going on on the surface to occupy you. You don't need to start reading between the lines. Um, it's just, you know, we don't need to be suspect and, of everything or this and that. It just just whatever the Lord says. So, yes, we should be in submission to government. Romans 13 was written to a government where the emperor, we're now in the empire of the history of Rome, and the emperor said he was God. He was capricious. We had Roman soldiers and a Roman citizenry that said we were born to dominate the world. So as Paul illustrated, if you're a Roman citizen, you have rights and privileges. If Paul wasn't a Roman citizen, they could have beat him to death, couldn't they have? And nothing would have been said. 
It was a very capricious government. It was, a, it was an authoritarian government, and they brought general rule, but you didn't want to challenge them. When they came to a city, they said, you know, uh, you need to uh, uh, come with terms of peace with us or we're going to destroy you. If the city opens its gates, then Rome came in and took over. If the city did not open its gates, then Rome went and leveled the city and killed every citizen, small and great. Everyone in that city was dead. That's just how it went. Uh, you just read about the barbarian wars that they had. I mean, the, the brutality you can't even watch. Uh, you can't even think of. It's just so grievous. So this was a, an extremely wicked, brutal, harsh government that said its own citizens are the only real, uh, you know, legitimate class of people in the world. Everybody else must be slaves to us. They built their empire on slavery. And Paul said, the powers that be are ordained of God. So, I think, I think that answers itself. Does anybody have anything that you think that the Bible sort of mitigates against that? All right. Next question. The government tells us, uh, as the church, to do something wrong, like murdering babies. Of course, we disobey the government. But if they simply infringe on our religious liberty... What if they tell us not to pray, for example, how would the story of Daniel fit into the equation, Daniel 6? So, good question, almost answers itself. Um, and uh, so anybody have any thoughts on that? How does Daniel 6, remember what Daniel 6 was? He's every day, you know, several times got down and, and opened his door toward Jerusalem and prayed, all right, because that was his thing, because in, in his day, the, going back to the land was the big deal. And so he prayed and God dwelt in the land in, in the terminology of the Old Testament. Um, and so that was, that was a big deal. And all of the, the satraps, the Persians, by the way, had just come in charge, right? And there were 120 satraps, and Daniel was one of the three rulers over the satraps. The satraps were just regional governors, and Daniel was one of three that was over them. And they just had envy and jealousy and politicizing. I mean, again, the politics always has been and always will be a blood sport. And so they're like, well, we hate Daniel because he's over us, and we hate Daniel. So the only way we can catch him is to get him in, in terms of, of his being righteous, actually. I'm sure they didn't phrase it that way. And so they got the, 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 the king, the Persian king, to make a law of the Medes and the Persians that you, you cannot pray to anybody but the king of Persia for the next 30 days. Well, Daniel heard the law, and he just turned and went, okay, and opened his door, uh, opened his windows, and went and prayed to God toward Jerusalem. And he got found out, and of course, then he gets thrown in the lion's den. So, how does Daniel fit into this equation of the government starting to legislate directly contrary to Christian living and Christian worship of God? Not a hard thing. We just, we just want to say it. We just want to know it. Um, yeah, let me read We'll get to that in the next question because there's a similar, might not be, the, but there's a similar question in the next one or two. So. Well, in this case, the government was telling him to do what he had conviction about. He didn't, as Chris was mentioning, he didn't come to a new conviction. Um, he didn't now start. Yeah. Right. Yeah, Daniel's going to worship God simply because they don't have any right to tell him how he's going to worship God. And this, this whole edict here is about not praying to your God. So the edict is, whoever makes a petition to any God besides you shall be cast into the line. Yeah. So that is the issue that Daniel is deliberately obeying, or disobeying. Yeah. Disobeying. Because this is idolatry. They're saying you need to be an idolater and that, you know, the Persian king is equal to God. And that's kind of like in-your-face challenging God and Christianity directly. So this isn't some indirect thing that we're dealing with in COVID. COVID is an indirect issue. Or this is a direct thing that Daniel's answering. Yes? Yeah. Oh, I... Yeah, I wouldn't classify it as rebellion, and that's the point. Because when we think of rebellion, we're thinking of insurrection. And this is not an act of insurrection. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah. Oh, amen. I mean, yeah. But also, he wasn't openly defying anything. He was just opening his windows. This was what he was doing in private. He wasn't defying the king publicly. As you remember, the king was all upset that his law ended up catching Daniel. The king, like, missed his sleep all night and everything because he was upset that his law had put Daniel into the, into the den. So this was something that wasn't the king wanting to do this. It was the wicked satraps with their typical blood sport politics. Pardon? Well, yeah, but he did that at his house. I mean, he's not going into the court and saying, and then kneeling down and praising Jehovah. You know, it's, and that's why we have to say, I wouldn't even call what he's doing as defiance. It's just civil disobedience. Yes. Yeah, to the glory of God. And, and he, as in that role, is still maintaining his own personal convictions before God. Um, he's not going to impose them on the government, but if the government tries to impose something on him, he's not going to listen. But he's not also going to make all these waves. He didn't go and make a speech. You know? I mean, it's good the things you were saying, because it's good to understand and to, and to see it in that light. Because I find when I look at something like this, I'll go, okay, big principle, you know, I'm going to defy the government if they tell me, like, no, no, that, that's not what's being said here. And I have to go, oh, yeah, defy is probably not a bad word. So I, I'm saying all these things because I've gone through all these things for years in my life. It's not defiance. I mean, if you knew what went on in my head, you'd go, man, we better not put a, you know, a gun in Steve's hands. <laughs> um, it, it's just, uh, we just have to just realize we're not here to provoke. But if they start to encroach on us, then we are here to stand. We are here to say, no, King, Jesus is king in his church. If they say you have to take on the LGBT version of the world, we're going to have to say, sorry, we're not going to do that. It'll be hard for them to impose that on us here because we don't have church membership and we don't have hired staff. So what are they going to do? I mean, if an LGBT person wants to come in here and sit and listen to the gospel for weeks to try to catch us in our, in our words, <laughs> be my guest. You know, because what are you going to say? We didn't let you join the church? Or we didn't hire you to be the assistant secretary or something? No, we're not going to say those things. Because those that's not how we function. We function simply. If you want to come and hear the gospel, you're here. If you don't like it, you're free to object. You know, we'll, we'll try to answer you, but, you know, we're not going to change. So, because we're giving the gospel of God, not the gospel of NCCF or Steve or Chris or anybody else. So, but Daniel's just an example where he did not make a public spectacle he just opened his windows. Now, could people see it? Sure, but he wasn't changing. You know, he wasn't up in the ante. He didn't go and open three windows. You know? He didn't put a banner out. You know? There's no God but Yahweh, and Jesus is his eternal son. He didn't do any of that. He just kept doing what he was already doing. Um, and, and so it's good to understand that. And he did it as a high government official, knowing that the politics would grind him to powder. He knew that. He, he, wasn't, he knew who these guys were. So... Um, well, no, it just goes to our command to go and preach the gospel of the whole nations. I don't really care about the First Amendment. I, I don't really care about the constitutional amendments. They're, they're irrelevant to me. They are irrelevant to Christians. We obey God. And if God says go and preach the gospel to all nations, that was, that's what we do. If they tell us we can only do it in a certain spot and God tells us to do it in a, in a different spot, that's too bad for the government. You know? That's too bad for a wicked government comprised of wicked people who are trying to unrighteously suppress the speech of human beings in favor of God. So I, I, I never really go to the, the, the Bill of Rights myself. I know they're there. I'm glad for them. I don't know if I would have participated in the American Revolution, but I am glad it happened personally. You know, it's kind of odd to be that conflicted. But for us, I just go, I'm not basing what I do based on any, any Bill of Rights. I base what I do on the Word of God. And if God says, go speak, I go speak. I, I try to lift everything out of that whole world of discussing, well, what if, the, you know, what if the, the Bill of Rights, I'm like, who cares what the Bill of Rights says? I mean, as citizens, it matters. But as Christians, what does it matter to us? Does the Bill of Rights give us or, or, or you know, establish anything that we're supposed to do or not do that we wouldn't do or not do otherwise? I mean, it, well, you were talking about the First Amendment. Well, I'm just talking about it, it, 
Well, no, well, I mean, if you want to stop fine, but these are, these are good questions. I'm just answering for a bigger audience. I'm not just, you know, directing, okay, this is your question, I'm going to answer. I'm saying these, these are the issues that are out there. And my suggestion is, is why are Christians all wrapped up in the Bill of Rights? As citizens, sure, it's a good thing. And that's that level of just being a personal citizen and interacting, whatever. Okay, I'm, you know, I, I don't have to worry about a lot of things that you have to worry about in other countries right now. What's, what's more impactful on Christians today is politically correct environment in which we live, where if you say all lives matter, you can lose your job. See, that's a more real issue um, to us. It's a more real issue to people. We're in an environment where if I say I don't want to put a, you know, a lesbian connotation on this cake that I'm baking for you, there's other places you can go, you know, I'll suggest them to you, then I'm going to what? Lose my whole entire living? Possibly go to jail, be sued out of existence? Have people rioting at the door of my house? Those are the real issues we're dealing with. They're not, you know, they're not the Bill of Rights, I guess you would say, or First Amendments or Second Amendments. Those are certainly being eroded, I know that. But as Christians, am I going to start, like Daniel, am I going to start doing something different? Or am I going to stop doing what I was doing because of these, you know, human instruments of government? Do, do they change my Christian life? And that's what I try to get at. So, if someone wants to discuss the Bill of Rights and all that, great. I mean, it's not that I'm not happy. I, I listen to stuff on it, but that's not my job. My job isn't to uh, sort out whether if I was in China, I'd do this, or in America, I'd do that. I just, we're in America, and that's just what I try to address. Now, here's the Chinese thing. What if government tells us not to meet together as a church? What if the government lies to us and tells us not to meet because it is for your safety? Okay, there's no what-ifs there. <laughs> uh, Americans often praise Chinese believers for meeting underground and rejecting their government's godless rule over them. So now we're talking about China. Is it right for them to disobey or not? The Chinese government doesn't tell them they can't meet. They just want them to meet in government-endorsed churches. Church history has some interesting things. I don't know, some of you may be familiar with the Scottish Covenanters. This was in England in the 1600s, or rather in Scotland. Um, and there was always animosity between Scotland and England for centuries, and England had gotten the upper hand and was ruling Scotland. Well, King Charles was the head of the English church. Uh, the Queen of England right now is still the head of the Anglican church, believe it or not. They still call her that. <clears throat> um, and so... Whoever's king or queen is head of the Anglican church, well, Charles now has authority over Scotland. He's like, well, I'm just going to impose my church headship on Scotland and the Scottish Presbyterian churches. And so Charles said, I'm going to appoint your ministers just like I do in the Church of England. So as Charles is concerned, hey, I'm in charge now of Scotland. I'm the head of the church. Well, you know, I should be doing what I've always been doing, appointing ministers of the gospel in the Anglican churches, and bishops and all that. Well, the Scottish Covenanters said, no, not going to happen. We're not going to do that. And they had for the 25 years what is known in the history of the church as the killing time. And they literally slaughtered the Christians in Scotland over this one issue. It was one issue. Who's going to appoint ministers in the church? People could have made a lot of arguments and probably did. Well, they're appointing you know, ministers down in England, in the, in, in the Church of England. What's the big deal about doing it here? They do it down there. Why are you so upset about it? And their issue was this. Jesus, not the King of England, is the head of the church. And blood flowed for 25 years over that one issue. It wasn't about whether Jesus was God or any of those things. It was who is going to rule in the church of Jesus Christ. In China, what is the government of China doing? Are they saying, look, you know, there's public safety issues here. You can't meet temporarily. Is that what China is saying? Or is China saying, you can't meet ever unless you meet under our conditions 
that we dictate. And the Chinese Christians are saying what? Jesus is king of his church, not the Chinese government. So whether you're a Scottish covenanter or whether you're a Chinese person, what's the issue? Who is king? And many have died in China over that one issue. Okay? Yeah. Yeah. And so it's Jesus the king. The question is right now, back in March when COVID came and they issued public safety, we said, okay, we're going to be safe. And as a church, we, you know, met over Zoom for a while because we truly didn't know what was going on. And so to be safe, we're like, okay, we're going to meet. Not so much because the government told us, because that was just good common sense. And the government telling us we're not going to rattle, it's like, okay, they told us, we think it's good common sense, so we, we did. But after a while, we started getting the sneaking suspicion that, that the, the, Dem, the, I wouldn't say the Democrats, but the, the, the progressive leftists actually mean what they say when they say, and they will tell you, you know, we're never going to let a good crisis go to waste. We're going to use this crisis to, uh, you know, further our ends of grabbing power. So when you start looking at the history of the last year, you go, yep, it morphed from we didn't know what we were doing, and we thought, you know, Mr. Fauci was at least, you know, someone we could listen to, to the point where now we're like, that guy has completely himself discredited himself, utterly and completely. If you missed it, Rand Paul took him to task in a Senate hearing this week. You should watch it if you are concerned about those things. It was, it was quite... Uh, gratifying to watch uh, Rand Paul just put questions to Fauci that Fauci couldn't answer. Um, he had to answer around them and couldn't answer. It was a good thing. So we know that they're not letting a good crisis go to waste. But at the same time, we also know people really do die of COVID. I know at my work, two or three uh, people have gotten COVID or their family, and one of their families, a person died. This is, this is real stuff, okay? This is not the government telling us that we can't meet because, because we have to meet their way, like China. This is not the government appointing ministers of the gospel in our churches, like they did with the Scottish Covenanters. So my first response to this question is, you're mixing apples and oranges if you make this comparison. There are a few similarities here. All right. We have some, I think, good models of how to address this. One was Capitol Street Baptist Church up in Washington, D.C. that brought lawsuit. Again, I don't know what the outcome of that was. I think you know, they, they probably won. I know the Supreme Court has finally ruled you know, that you cannot tell people they can't meet, but you can tell them how many, which I'm like, really? <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, John MacArthur is my real hero. He basically sat down and said, you know, this is getting ridiculous. The numbers don't justify what your public safety officer is telling us, and furthermore, uh, you know, Mr. Governor of the state, uh, your, your emergency powers expired months ago. And so John MacArthur said, we're just going to meet. And he wasn't trying to do it defiantly. The only reason it made public news was because he's a public figure. Yeah, they made public issue of it. So John MacArthur is my real hero in this, is how we would have to do it. Now, Fortunately or unfortunately, we live in the state of South Carolina where do you, are you worried about not wearing masks in here as far as a public mandate? I'm not. I never even think about it, quite frankly. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, maybe. Every now and then I go, maybe I should wear a mask. Maybe that's bad on my part, but I, I just don't think about it. I'm probably more than anybody here at risk. I have four risk factors. If I get COVID, I got a good chance of not making it through. Okay. Um, so... I just don't think we're at the level of the Chinese or the Scottish Covenanters. And we, we, need, to, we need to be sober-minded. And that's why the Bible is always saying, as Christians, be sober-minded, be sober-minded, be sober-minded. Now, what they're doing is taking advantage of a crisis, as they state in their own words. And what they're doing with the government in terms of everything else is just ridiculous and awful. I know. But I don't think for us, meeting is a matter of define the, the, the government because um, they're really not telling us not to. So not wearing masks is a personal choice and I don't think you know, anybody's all worried about it. If they are, let me know. Um, I'm not. Um, I just avoid the singing part because that's the supposedly, who knows if it's true or not, but supposedly the, the, the most part you can get COVID from. 
So a question like this, if we were in China, yes, we would meet. If we were in Scotland, no, we would not accept uh, uh, King Charles's appointments of ministry. If we're in the U.S., we're meeting. Now, if they come and pass more laws, we'll deal with them when, we, when they come. If we lived in California, our hero would be John MacArthur. You know? So I guess that's kind of my response to this question. Let's, let's keep things always in perspective. Let's not drive it to where we're martyrs over something that's not martyr material. You know, Scottish Covenanters, that was martyr material. China is martyr material. COVID restrictions are not yet martyr material. So, so yeah, and again, we're here to be blameless and harmless. Jesus said, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. He knows exactly what he's doing with us. He's not unclear that we are sheep in the midst of wolves. And he says, be harmless as doves and wise as serpents. So we're to be wise, so it's not wrong to be clear about what's going on. We don't want to be stupid and walk into things we don't need to. But we're to be harmless. Harmless. Is our attitude always, I'm going to be harmless because I'm here to bring people to Christ, not convince people or governments, whatever, that they're, they're wrong. It's just, that's our message. So I'm not down on anything. Anybody wants to run for office, run for office. Good luck. <laughs> and if anybody, if you thought all, anybody wants to talk to me, us, about these issues, hey, I'm, I'm ready to talk all day, so... Oh, I knew. I knew. Yeah. Hey, brother. I might have a little sinus. Oh, okay. So I don't want to start hugging. So we'll see. Hey, are you available Thursday for Debbie and I that we just kind of talked? I know there's some things that were said. I just wanted to make sure it works. Yeah. So, I mean, unfortunately, this week, where I committed to Monday and then Charlotte, Tuesday, well, actually, I'm going to be involved tomorrow, and then next week, it works. Yeah. Thursday works. I can text you if it doesn't work. Sure. Yeah. That'd be good. And I think we're also on the same page in this. You know, it's just I think we're talking in extreme sometimes. So I, I'm not looking to rebel, but I'm looking to evolve. And what is that? Yeah. How does that look?